What we do in life echoes in eternity. You will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. From the WSFI studio in Libertyville, Illinois, this is Pro-Life Today. Hi, you're listening to WSFI 88.5 and 7.50 a.m. This is our local broadcast today, and you're very blessed out there in the listening audience because we have Brian Birch here, the head of Catholic Vote. Brian is the president and co-founder of CatholicVote.org, a nation faith-based advocacy organization headquartered in Madison, Wisconsin. Catholic Vote was founded to organize, inspire, and mobilize the Catholic Vote through education, legislative advocacy, and direct political action. Mr. Birch is also the co-author of the American Catholic Almanac, a reliable and notable book on American saints, sinners, heroes, and rogues that have shaped American public life. The Almanac was published by Doubleday in 2014. CatholicVote.org has received national attention for its online viral videos, including multiple ads that have logged over 2 million online views each. Their online campaign has garnered grassroots interest among all people of all faiths, helping grow the organization to over 500,000 members in less than four years. CatholicVote.org is a lay organization inspired by the late John Paul II's call for a new evangelization. Catholic Vote seeks to evangelize American politics with a hope-filled message that is both faithful to the gospel and the heritage of the American founding. Brian Birch has appeared on everything, CNN, Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, MSNBC, Newsweek, other publications. He's a graduate of University of Dallas in political philosophy. He's founding director of the Illinois Catholic Prayer Breakfast and serves on the board of Seton Academy Montessori School. Is a member of Sacred Heart Catholic Parish Council in Lombard, Illinois, and he's married to Sarah. And Brian, this is one of the things that I just thought, man, what a, what a wonderful thing. Nine kids. Brian has nine kids. God bless you, buddy. Well, you saved the best for last, and now we need to go to confession to get some humility back. Yeah. Revise that <laughs> to make sure you shorten it a bit. So, I'm a troublemaker like you, Mark. That's the truth. Thank you, buddy. Hey, uh, so the bulk of this interview is going to be a couple of Carmel Catholic kids. Uh, Ryan Hogan, who's a senior at Carmel Catholic, is exploring colleges. And uh, Peter Curran, who's also a senior at Carmel Catholic, and he's on his way to Marquette. Hey, Brian. This is Ryan Hogan right here. Hello, Mr. Birch. Hey, this is Peter Curran right here. And I guess I'll start it off. I have the first question for you. Uh, Mr. Birch, I've, I just want to start off my question with mass mandates. The science continues to rule in the favor of no mandates, but... Our school, schools around our area are still mandating them. Why do you think these schools and politicians seem to sort of reject the science and push their agenda? Well, it's a great question, and you know it's a question everyone around Illinois, especially Catholics, are asking right now because of recent events. For those that don't know or may be listening nationally, uh, a court did rule on Friday uh, allowing uh, schools, actually ruling that the mask mandate on the part of our governor uh, is unconstitutional. Uh, what this did is it forced public schools to react, and many of them already have, including the largest public school district in the state, uh, has now made masks optional. What shocked a lot of us was that our Catholic schools and Catholic dioceses decided to go in the opposite direction. Uh, every um, uh, five out of the seven dioceses in the state initially responded by saying that they would continue to require masks, although over the last 48 hours, all but one diocese 
uh, have buckled, I shouldn't say buckled, have seen the light and have acknowledged the science that you correctly pointed out. And now every diocese but one are, are allowing our, our mask optional. Uh, the only uh, diocese remaining is the Archdiocese of Chicago. And we can speculate on why that might be. What I think was interesting is uh, not only have the rest of the bishops of the state decided that the, par- the, the interests of parents and the well-being of children ought to be prioritized. Brian, including uh, Ju- now- Joliet uh, Diocese, just said no more Mass. That's right. Every diocese in Illinois but Chicago now is mask optional. And I think that's, that's a, a, a testament to these bishops that listened to their parents and, and looked at the science and decided this is in the best interest of our kids, making sure they're in learning environments where they will not suffer. Um, just in the late breaking this afternoon, some of you may have seen there is a principal uh, in the south side in Evergreen Park of a Catholic school who on his own, he's in the Archdiocese right. of Chicago. Queen of Martyr. Uh, Queen of Martyr, 103rd and Central. Correct. He has said um, he has reviewed the science and he thinks it's the right thing to do, uh, that he'll risk his own job. And from what I understand, in the last several hours, he has been fired by the Archdiocese really? of Chicago. Yes. Wow. So, you know, Brian, that really is an interesting point. And Cardinal Supich is, is incredibly unpopular with, with many out there right now. So you're dealing with that, that minefield, if you will. Could you just talk about what it's like? Yeah, well, I think this is sometimes confusing, I think in part because we had the benefit and great blessing of, of literally decades of huge saintly men, many of who have been canonized uh, in, in the office of the papacy, and many, many uh, uh, faithful uh, leaders, cardinals, bishops, and, and yet um, now we have, uh, uh, I think, some clear examples of some people who, who are, are don't, not living up to that standard, and we kind of got spoiled as Catholics. That doesn't mean that they weren't sinners, and it doesn't mean that all popes must be saints. There's, they're going to uh, make bad judgments. They're going to say things that are, that are true or not. Of course, we know as Catholics that the faith is bigger than any particular person, and there are certain truths that are universal no matter what anyone says, no matter what any pope says or what any bishop or cardinal says. And, and this is not just with respect to faith and morals, which, of course, popes and bishops and cardinals don't, don't get to make up. They are the servants of the truth, not the arbiters of the truth. Exactly. But it also comes to all sets of truths, right? The Church is at the service of not just the God of Revelation and Jesus Christ, but the God of creation, the author of science. And so when it comes to questions about COVID policy, yes, the Church should be looking at the truth about science to inform its judgment, sometimes often in this case, for example, prudential judgments about how to best serve the educational needs of our kids. Exactly. And the science is so clear on this. We are doing our children an enormous disservice. In fact, in some studies show permanently harming them by continuing to force them to cover their face. I I said this in the media this week. We have literally, people have to realize, five- and six-year-old children who have been in school for one or two years who have never seen the face of their teacher. Imagine what that is. This is a hugely formative time of a child's life, when they learn language skills, when they learn how to react to people. They don't get these years back. How these do you schools become, are yeah. taking away this from our children, and it's an absolute travesty. Exactly. I mean, how do you become uh, adept in, in terms of social skill? I thought that it was interesting the other night when Bill Maher said that uh, we're destroying children, and I hate children. So, but, you know, acknowledge that, that you'd have to be a rockhead not to know 
that what the, the uh, archdiocese and uh, Governor Pritzker have done to children is is inexcusable. Like Brian, well, uh, we just we just took away the mass mandate at Carmel Catholic and today, and yeah, just today for actually, tomorrow. Like about about one hour ago, they finally announced it. And and from what I've talked to and who I've talked to, everyone is a big fan of this. Even the administration has said that. We are outright in favor of, of the choice mandate. We want to be able to, to choose if you wear a mask or not. Like, why do you think these politicians are, are going up against the public opinion on the choice to wear a mask? Like, why do you think they're mandating this so much when clearly the public has shown that we don't want to wear masks? So this is a very, very good question, and it's a very important question because we're all kind of scratching our heads here. We all can kind of understand it when it comes to kind of a, a political power play. But when it comes to our own church, it makes you wonder, what the heck is behind this? And I don't want to believe that they truly want to harm children. I actually don't necessarily believe that. But I think we have to recognize that there are forces at play when it comes to control, when it comes to power, and when it comes to social clubs and power circles, whether it be with politicians or people, particularly in Illinois, it's no secret the way this state is run. It's run by a club of largely left-wing people, from the governor on down to the mayor of Chicago and everything in between. Um, uh, some sheriffs, of course, the exception uh, in the past. Uh, but this is, uh, this, is a, this is a place where people don't want to offend each other. And they go along to get along, including if that, even if that means risking the well-being of children. Mm-hmm. So, guys, uh, you're sitting here with a couple of pro-life high schoolers that are going to get to vote uh, real quick. Brian is, is what I would uh, say is an expert in politics beyond you know anybody else you're going to get a chance to talk with. Why don't you, if you have questions about his opinion uh, in terms of anything else, I, I, I would say fire away. I had one question about about what you do with Catholic Vote. We, uh, I know we went over your bio a little bit at the start, but what exactly is Catholic Vote, and like, uh, what do you guys do on the website? Sure. Well, we try to do a lot off the website. The yeah, website exactly. tries to capture some of the things we do do. And what, what our mission is is very simple, to inspire every Catholic in America to live out the truths of our faith in public life. So there's important pieces there. The truths of our faith in public life. What does the public life of this country look like? has to do with these kinds of debates. Obviously, grassroots Catholics having these kinds of, 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 of engagements over, over public policy mm-hmm. obviously involves legislative debates and court battles and elections, right? And so our job is to help Catholics be informed, understand their faith, properly apply it, and then organize together and mobilize for the good. You know, all these issue groups out there, the NRA on the right or the gay rights groups on the left, they all have their kind of advocacy org that gives them ammunition and tools and ways of organizing. And, and the Catholics, we don't really have such a thing because, in part, our, our church officials aren't organized to do that kind of work. Our, our exactly. church, mm-hmm. uh, they're mm-hmm. supposed to be saving souls through right. the liturgy and the sacraments. But our job as lay people is to do that kind of work, is to connect the dots and say, right. look, the science on masks or public policy on life or on marriage or all these sorts of debates that our country is having, the church needs to be at the table, and their people, our Catholic people, need to be engaged in these fights with the truths of the faith, because we have something rich and beautiful to offer. Totally. Right. Peter had a question. 
Can you go more into what the Catholic Accountability Projects is? Project. Yeah, sure. Yeah. This very good question. This is a recent project that we launched called the Catholic Accountability Project. And as the name implies, the goal here is to provide information and tools to Catholics to be able to hold Catholics in public life accountable. Um, obviously, the the uh, quick answer, the the first thing that comes to mind for most people is Catholic politicians. Uh, many people don't realize there's there's many uh, legislative or members of Congress and in the U.S. Senate who are Catholic. We know AOC and Nancy Pelosi and Dick Turbin, for example, uh, but there's obviously Republicans as well. And quite embarrassingly, as a Catholic, um, the majority of them, at least uh, uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, nearly every single Democrat votes pro-abortion. Uh, Catholics, these are Catholics in Congress. Uh, the same applies in, in the Senate. There's a few uh, Republican Catholics that vote pro-abortion, uh, but most Catholics have no idea. They don't realize that there are uh, all these Catholics representing us in Washington, D.C. that are blatantly violating church teaching, and of course that goes for the White House as well. But this project is actually bigger than that. It has to do with Catholic institutions, Catholic media organizations, Catholic hospitals, Catholic charities, are these institutions that hold themselves out as Catholic actually upholding the fundamental truths of our faith? Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of activities uh, that that project's involved in. I can give you an example of something that's coming out this week. Uh, we just sued uh, the uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, because we are seeking information related to Catholic charities at the border and ways in which they are helping facilitate uh, the movement of illegal immigrants around the country. Um, we're <clears throat> seeking information about what's going on there, and uh, the Biden administration is blocking our access under the Freedom of Information Act to get this information. And so that's an example of a Catholic organization that we're looking to hold accountable. So, Brian, one of the things I, I want, you know, the people out there, by the way, you're listening to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, uh, 750 AM. Please contribute. That's how we survive. 224-206-8455. we got Brian Birch, the head of Catholic Vote on with us right now with uh, Ryan Hogan and Peter Curran. And, Brian, uh, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you about in terms of uh, what Catholic Vote does is you do not uh, endorse individual candidates and I think that really helps you maintain integrity. I, I you know, I, when you get in the, involved in primaries and you pick one guy over the other and what have you, I think that th that's a real conflict. People that are like in right to life organizations, when really um, they're the, what they should be focused on is preserving the sanctity of human life, not getting in the gutter with political uh, primaries and political, uh, you know. Uh, one candidate over the other when they're both the same, essentially. And you don't do that. So tell us why you don't do that and why that's important. Well, yes and no, Mark. So maybe we'll disagree, so this will be fun. In general, in a Republican primary, um, we won't go in and endorse one candidate over the other, often because they are very good candidates and uh, running against each other. And we want the, the most pro-life, most courageous uh, best candidate who is best equipped to see the Catholic vision implemented to win, and, and sometimes uh, we don't want to split. But when we are engaged in a race, like we were, for example, in 2020, we openly said uh, the Catholics should vote for Donald Trump. 
I wrote a book about it. Right, he spent millions of dollars trying to make that happen. And so I think the idea of endorsement maybe can be framed in different ways. Uh, but in, you're right. In, in primaries, we generally don't do that. Yes. So talking about Donald Trump and Peter Curran got to go to a, a rally with Donald Trump where so uh, I did, yeah. Yeah, where he introduced me in front of uh, in Janesville up on the stage and everything. And um, Peter was, has read several of Donald's books and loves them. Brian, I was a Democrat, you know, basically, you know, came up in that Irish class, Catholic, blue collar family where we were all Democrats. And then the life movement, the the Republicans were the only ones that seemed to uh, embrace that the sanctity of human life. But there's so much in terms of the Democratic Party that was Catholic, and that's the reason why we were Democrats, the just war theory, essentially uh, subsidiarity uh, in terms of an economic concept where you, you worry about local, made in America. I, I got to tell you, all of his flaws, and there were a zillion of them, he was probably the most Catholic president we've ever seen, wasn't he? There's no question, and I know Catholics often look at Trump and, they are turned off by, as you suggest, you know, some of his, you know, personal, uh, you know, weaknesses. Um, but when it comes to actual policy, there's no question, at least in my lifetime and perhaps ever, um, he was, uh, you could make the case he was the most Catholic president. Now, the life issue, of course, which our church teaches us is preeminent and foundational, that's clear and obvious. There's, there's not a there's not an argument against it, from his Supreme Court choices to his executive orders to all the things that he did to advance that. And we're about to potentially see that because of that man, because of Donald Trump, uh, there's a very real possibility that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. And who would have thought we'd be saying that five or ten years ago? Mm-hmm. Secondly, and I think what you made the point, Mark, and I think this is such a good one, it's not as if we're a single-issue church. We know that life issue is a paramount importance, foundational, bishops call it preeminent. It's a whole array of issues relate uh, to the, uh, the good of human communities, to the dignity of workers, um, to uh, the, the respect that we owe to our laws, whether it be on our border. Um, Donald Trump introduced, I think, a whole opportunity for Catholics to make the case for what I would call a third way between the two parties that I think is actually the Catholic way. Um, The Republican Party, I think, has lost touch with a lot of working-class people. Democratic Party certainly has lost touch from a, on a cultural standpoint, with the values and morals of families, uh, uh, and on a whole array of things. And a lot of these voters, especially working-class voters, especially in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio and Wisconsin, they felt out, uh, left um, uh, by both parties. And, and Trump comes in, and lo and behold, they, they come back in droves. And, and so what, what happens, they call them deplorables, and now it's MAGA and uh, all these sorts of characterizations. And in so many ways, though, I think Trump has awakened the sleeping giant that was left by both parties. Yeah, totally. Just to retouch on uh, on the accountability project, the Catholic accountability project, it's kind of crazy how how you talked about how like so many of these Democrats are Catholic, but but so little of them are actually pro life and vote pro life. When do you think this started? Like, has this always been a thing, or or is it just recently that that you see this division among choosing politics over your religion? Well, the lure of politics obviously is is always there. I don't think this is a new phenomenon. 
you know, it used to be not too long ago that more Democrats were pro-life and there was a lot of uh, pro-abortion Republicans. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was definitely a a very strong wing of the Republican Party that was pro-abortion for many years. And I think Ronald Reagan helped uh, put that to to, to rest in many ways and kind of established um, the shift there. And and certainly the Democratic Party chose the opposite path. Um, I think this maybe relates to the the COVID question we started with, and that is the the lure of power and the temptation of power and control um, is is extraordinary. And uh, far too often our political leaders, uh, including the Catholics, as we know, are willing to sacrifice that principle and sacrifice the faith and potentially sacrifice the salvation of their own soul uh, for for this temporary something. Um, certainly a, um, you know, a 30 pieces of silver, the equivalent, whatever that would be in politics. Yeah, that's sad. Mr. Birch, nowadays I hear I hear a lot from uh, from politicians, from even my friends. Um, I would never get an abortion, but I'm not going to stop you from getting one. What do you have to say to people that say that? I, I think that that's one of the, the most cowardish, one of the most cowardish things you can say. It's a good question, Peter Curran. Absolutely. Well, I think sometimes it's easy to argue by analogy. Would you say, I would never own a slave, uh, but if you would like to own one, that'd be fine. Exactly. Or I would never yeah. murder an innocent person on the street, but if you want to do so, that's fine. Of course, the question is not whether you or I want to do something. That's not what determines what's right. The question is, is it object- objectively right or wrong? And this is the way mm-hmm. our church understands this. It's not a question of, of a personal preference or utility or efficiency or uh, of situation ethics. It's a question of, is this act itself objectively the taking of an innocent human life? And if that's the case, there is no circumstance in which this could ever be justified. And there's just like slavery, just like uh, racism, all, uh, these involve what the Church calls intrinsic evil. That means in and of itself, the thing, the act, is evil. And therefore, um, certainly uh, um, that's the way we look at it as Catholics, not as a personal choice that we each get to make up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, Brian, uh, um, Peter and Peter Kern and Ryan Hogan are going to be going off to college next year, and you went to a great Catholic school, University of Dallas, what would you recommend for them in terms of just helping form their uh, foundation, you know, in, in regards to things to consider in the political atmosphere and, and how to live a truly Catholic and authentic life? Sure. Well, I was spoiled. You're right. I went to UD, which is a great place, and very faithful, and I would say, you know, politically conservative in terms of the student body. But no matter where you go, if, if you don't end up going to a you know, more conservative of college, um, the most important thing in college, at least for me, was to surround myself with people who were like me, who shared my core beliefs, uh, that you know, those friendships are what made both the experience in college such a joy and, and, and have a lot of fun, but they're also the things that helped shape what I've become. Um, you know, f- friendships in college and that 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 fraternity. There's you know obviously fraternities in college, but there's a, a more g- generic use of the word fraternity. Um, we need that as human persons, but we especially need at a time in our life when the social dimension of our of our time is is so important. And so, I would say the most important thing, no matter where you go, is to find that group of Catholic um, um, young men and women that you can 
spend time with, socialize with, um, go out with, uh, you know, uh, when you go to parties on the weekends, those are the people you want to be around because they're the people that are going to uh, remind you of what's most important, hold you accountable when you need to. Um, and they're obviously going to make sure you get to mass and get to the sacraments. Um, and so obviously there's Newman centers on a lot of these secular colleges, or there's uh, pools of Catholic people, even at some of the worst places that I think um, you can find refuge in, and it allows you to kind of take on the threats of obviously higher ed today that that are real, and you have to go into it with open eyes, understanding that um, this is a place in many in many ways that you're going to be assaulted, and you you got to gird yourself and um, and be strong. And you're listening. To, I'm sorry, uh, WSFI 88.5 FM and 7:50 AM. Uh, Catholic Radio with Brian Birch, the, the uh, head of Catholic Vote, and our call-in number, 224-206-8455. If you can donate, that would be wonderful. Ryan Hogan and Peter Curran are your hosts. Yeah, Brian, you made a really good point there. I think uh, you said it perfectly. You can always find refuge in, in whatever place you go to. Like Peter, I know, is uh, is going to Marquette, which is a really awesome Jesuit institution. But oh, yeah. I, I'm looking at uh-huh. right now, I'm looking at uh, Illinois and University of Madison, Wisconsin, which are not the Jesuit institution that Marquette is. Um, but I know a lot of people who have gone there who, especially with Illinois, are, are really uh, involved in the Newman Center and, and who live there and, and do a lot of things there. And, and that would be the refuge that I definitely look for wherever I go to college. And, and that's a really good point you make, that no matter where you go, you, you can always find a group of people to surround yourself with and, and, uh, and have a good impact on you. Absolutely. Wisconsin, University of Madison, Wisconsin has a fantastic Newman Center up there. I know a lot of people that have spent some time, a relatively new place that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Marquette, it has, uh, it's a here comes everybody kind of place, right? There's yeah. all sorts of Catholics there. Yeah, so exactly. find the good guys. In, I have in, one that just in, graduated there. So Peter's my second to go there. But uh, yeah, it's it's up and down. Uh Peter, yeah, Mr. Birch, we got um, as you know, midterms coming up. Uh, are Republican are Republicans going to win back some of the seats in the House? What do you think is going to happen? Well, as you know, history is on the side of Republicans. Uh, typically, a party that wins the White House loses badly in the first midterm election. This happened for Trump. It happened for Barack Obama. Lost some of the largest number of seats in his first midterm, and and the, and the list goes on. And so. History is on the side of Republicans, but the question is um, how big, and I think uh, what what will be the narrative of this election. I think if you were to predict at this point, it's pretty pretty certain the Republicans are, are likely to take back the House, but will it be by ten seats or forty seats? Obviously, mm-hmm. I'd prefer the latter, uh, not because I'm a Republican for any reason, because I but because I think they better represent what Catholics um, want to see in this country. The Senate's going to be tight. There's a number of competitive races, a lot of really interesting races to watch. But I think if trends hold, uh, there's a good chance the Republicans take the Senate as well. And, and then we'll have kind of a gridlock season uh, as we get ready for another presidential cycle, which I'm sure will be wild. Uh, watch what's going to happen, though. I think there's, there's some interesting kind of things shaping up. The State of the Union this year is later than normal. It's in the first week of March, and they did that for COVID reasons. But I think all this relaxing of masks uh, outside of Illinois in a lot of these blue states, yeah. um, they're going to start getting rid of the mandates, and they're going to try to go into the state of the union and reset the deck. They're going to say, we defeated Omicron, record job growth, 
we're all in this together and isn't America great and let's refund the police and all the sort of things, the opposite of what they've been saying for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The path the Democrats have been on has failed and they're going to try to reset the deck. And I think we, we need to be careful and voters need to be reminded not to fall for it. So we only got a, a little time left. Brian, I, people want to contribute to Catholic vote, not to see Republicans win, not to see Democrats win, but to, in essence, see people that will allow them to practice their faith on on earth and not be handicapped by an all, a totalitarian state. And that's what you do. You get behind them. You make it happen. How can they give to you? Well, I'll qualify it. First, if you're thinking about making a contribution, first make it to this radio station that gives us platforms to talk to people thank you. and to talk to Catholics. So thank you guys for doing this. But if you want more info on us, go to catholicvote.org. At least as a minimum, sign up for our, our morning newsletter called The Loop. It's very popular. It's free. You don't have to donate anything. If you're feeling extra generous, of course, we'd love your support. You can make a contribution or join what we call our Champions Club. Ten bucks a month it helps make all everything we're doing possible. And I've read your book, Brian. It's an excellent book. It's a fun read. I, do you have another one on the way? Uh, in theory, yes, Mark. So I can find some more time if you can help me with that. Okay. So uh, thank you for for being with us today, Brian. You are one heck of a great guy. Peter Curran, any last words? No. Ryan Hogan? No, thank you so much, Brian. It's yeah, been a pleasure talking you. to you. Once again. God bless you all. Yeah, God, God bless, bless you, you Brian. You're listening.